Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off. As you may recall, last week we were talking about polyamory and parenting. Yeah. It was a pretty filled topic. <laughs> Lots of info. So we're going to continue that discussion this week, and let's see where that goes. So now I do want to refer back a little bit to last week's episode where we had mentioned early on, I think in the intro, that Monsuda and I, Bella, I am Bella, um, have a new grandbaby in the family. Yes. So, I mean, these two episodes, we focus a lot, really mainly, on parenting kids in the next generation, like our direct kids. But how might it work when you're a little bit further and now you have grandkids in a polyam household? I mean, in my personal situation specifically, I came into this family three years ago. Yeah. Monsuda's, your oldest grandkids are, what, four and five now? Yep. And so I've basically been around them their whole lives. They don't really remember the beginning part where I wasn't there. Right. So they know grandma and granddad. Yeah. And then on the other side of their family, they know papa. Yeah. And now there's just Bella. That's just part of their life. There is no like, oh, this is a weird step parent or poly parent because they don't know any of the terminology. There's just a gaggle of grandparents that they know that they love and that love them. Yeah. So, and I was even able to foster a really good relationship with their mom, your oldest daughter, which also really helps in being close to the grandkids and that side of the family. Right. So it's... And then when you were coming into the picture and my daughter knew that you were a serious partner mm -hmm. and that being around the grandkids was an acceptable thing, there was even a small conversation on what should your name be, I think, right. between you and I and my daughter and son-in-law. Right, and I didn't want to step on toes either. Like, I didn't want to take a grandma name that was already given out. Uh, so for now, we're just sticking with Bella. Right. And the boys were super cute when they were young because they couldn't say their L's. Uh -huh. So having a name with two L's was pretty tricky. And instead of Bella, it became Bea. Bea, Bea. Bea. <laughs> so that was super cute. Yeah. But let's pretend that I don't have a good relationship with your youngest, which uh -huh. I do, just putting that out there. But just pretend that I don't have a good relationship with the youngest, uh, the daughter who just had a baby. Now, creating a strong bond with that grandchild might be a little trickier if there's a strained relationship with their mom. So typically, I mean, if you're looking to build a strong polyam kitchen table poly type dynamic family fostering those strong relationships with the kids with the next generation leads to that bigger stronger family with the grandkids right and even if there's not grandkids involved i mean some of what we're about to talk about can be used while bringing a third or fourth or whatever partner in right and trying to develop that relationship with the children yes so you, you can use this for children, for grandchildren, however it works for your dynamic. Right. The, the kids, the grandkids. Also, 
partner one, two, three, four, and five. Like, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm the step. In right. a polyam household, it's different terminology. There isn't this, you know, step-parent thing. But, of course, that's the large mass of society. That's what they tend to use in multiple-parent situations. Right. So, I found an article. Um, it's about how a non-biological parent or grandparent can foster deeper connections or bonding with a non-biological child or grandchild. So, we just want to give you some tips. I think there's, like, 13 of them. And they come from a website called steppingthrough.com.au. They're actually some really good tips. Right. And in, to further elaborate, because we haven't done that enough, <laughs> this also, these tips are going to be great if you are monogamous and have just split with a partner. Yeah. Or in time have split with a partner and have brought a new partner around. Right. So even if you're monogamous and you have that non-biological coming into the mm -hmm. situation these are fantastic tips for that scenario as well yeah they're just great for co-parenting with new people non-biological people in general yeah so hit me with one all right well one of them that i really liked was finding out about the kids areas of interest being as supportive as you can of their interests and hobbies and if possible do things with them attend their sporting event do the paper crafts like, right. actually enjoy, play Minecraft. Enjoy their hobbies and interests with the kid. That'll create a bond. Yeah. I think one of the ones that I liked the most was be patient and don't push the children to welcome or accept you. Yeah. Like, let them go on their terms. Also, though, I liked accept your role for what it is and that you may be the backing singer and not the star <laughs> of the show, you know? I struggle with that. Also, respect the other grandparents. Don't make it into a competition. There's plenty of love to go around, and I think we talk about that a lot in the poly world in general. Yeah. That there's plenty to go around, so just respect each other. Right. To go back to what you are saying, you could focus on the needs of the children, not your wishes <laughs> for the relationship. Right? That'd be nice. <laughs> also, remember special events and seek to include them in your family events as you do other children in your family. Additionally, don't be offended if they decline or don't act grateful. You, you want them to feel like they're as much yours as maybe your children are. Right. And then if they're still struggling with that, they might need space or they might need finding a way to process some of their feelings about it. So if they turn you down, it's not necessarily that they don't like you, but that they're still trying to figure things out. And then one last tip that I wanted to give is to find ways to praise the children and be slow to criticize them, their parents, their family of origin, or the blended family. Yeah. Don't make too many demands or be judgmental. Just be a positive light. Let the biological parents, you know, handle whatever sort of punishments or discussions. criticism, discussions, that kind of a thing. And let your relationship develop slowly. Organically. Yeah. A lot of us in the polyamory world want our relationships with other partner types to develop organically so it doesn't feel pushed or forced or contrived. Right. The same can be done with the children in the scenario. If you let it happen organically, then there's not a growth of resentment like, who the hell are you to even come in here thinking you can boss me around? Right. Like, do you remember when um, I was a little bit... 
I don't have kids of my own. We've talked about that a lot in this episode and last episode. So I don't always know how to act around kids. Like, I'm a little awkward with them because I don't know what to do. I'm like, here is your football baby. Like, I just don't know. But I can remember very specifically when your two oldest, we were in Walla Walla visiting. Uh And we went to the park. And I think we were playing Pokemon Go at the time. And the two older ones were, like, running around the picnic table maybe a year or two ago now. And I just got up from the picnic table, and I was like, I'm going to get you. And I just started running in circles around the park with them. Oh, my oldest picnic. grandkids. Your oldest grandkids. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, can you imagine me running around with your oldest daughter? Yeah. I'm going to get you. Chasing my 26-year-old <laughs> daughter around. No, the grandkids. Okay, I'm on track now. I have this very vivid memory of running around this stupid picnic table just being like, rawr, while you adults played Pokemon Go, and it was very natural, and they were laughing up a storm, and then I'd tag them, and then they'd be like, my turn, and they'd turn around and chase me, and it was just (laughs) this really natural, organic moment that had lasting memories on me, and I like to think that they remember it. And if they don't remember that specifically, it helps grow and strengthen a bond of familiarity. Right. And that's where you can walk into relationship with children or grandchildren and have that relationship grow in a positive way rather than stepping in and, you know, putting on your sheriff badge. (laughs) You will respect me. Right. Kids are very in tune with their feelings and how they are with grown-ups. Right. And... If you come in acting like a dick, they're going <laughs> to treat you like a dick. Right. I mean, I had step-parent types. My parents divorced when I was four or five. And most of the time I lived with my mom. And she was always trying to have that next forever guy, right? And so these guys would always come in and they'd step in with authority and they'd have their badge. And it's like, I'm... They wouldn't say it like this, but it's basically like, I'm your new dad now. You're going to do what I say. And I tell you what, like, I'm not one for authority as it is. And if I don't respect you, you can go straight to hell. (laughs) We're going to have problems all day, every day. And we always did. Yeah. Because they come in like that. Now, there was one guy that my mom dated. His name was Bob. He lived in Oakland. (laughs) Bob. Yeah. Fucking Bob. That's like Karen. Jeez, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) So Bob resided in Oakland. This is back when I lived down in Concord, California. And he came in and they dated and they moved in together pretty quick. But he was never the I'm going to throw my authority in your face sort of guy. He was like, I like your mom. I'm going to be around you guys. I want things to be cool. And he was a good dude. And I actually, yeah. out of any of the guys that she dated, he was probably the best one. Nice. And then there was Randy. Uh-oh. Fucking Randy. Well, Randy sounds like the no regrets guy. He was an asshole. Yeah. And Just the name went, Randy makes me think of that for some reason. He, he was always confrontational. <laughs> he needed, he needed us boys to like respect him yeah. and, and be afraid of him. And we wouldn't have it. And there were times where we'd, throw fists and, you know. Well, like, with your grandkids, I remember one of them was really, really shy when I first started coming around, Mm -hmm. which is so funny because he's the more aggressive one nowadays. Yeah. So looking back at, like, his super shy days is really kind of cute. Yeah. 
And I remember after maybe the first couple visits or the first couple times they had met me, all of a sudden it was like, Bingo! And he was so excited right. and like would ask his mom, when's granddad and Bea coming again? Yeah. You know, and I wasn't pushy and I wasn't in their face and he was super shy and I would just be like, hey, do you want to come watch cartoons with me? Or, you know, whatever, because he's yeah. little at the time. Um, I'll do this puzzle with you. And it stuck in his head and he remembered it enough that the shyness faded, which he grew out of most of any way. But he actually looked forward to seeing me again, which was really yeah, fun. more so than me, strangely It enough. was actually kind of cool. <laughs> you get one of them, I get the other one, it's fine. So let's jump back into the discussions. Okay. And we will just pick up where we left off last week. Yeah. So if you need a little refresher, just go ahead and go to last week's episode and do the fast forward thing a few times. <laughs> and then you'll be on track and we'll just jump right in here. Well, so what we're saying is find your local resources. Right, a hundred percent. Educate thyself. Yeah. Well, and one of those resources is a big factor when you start considering school life. Right. Yes. When you have children who have multiple parent types, and they're in a public or any kind of schooling where there's other children around, mm -hmm. because they're going to talk about things, or the other kids might come home to play and see all the different parent types and. Eventually, there's the possibility that that's going to cause an uproar or a stirring of a pot somewhere. Yeah. And suddenly the school system is going to want to be involved in your family life. Mm -hmm. Say you have three partners and they're all allowed to pick up this child after school. What's the relationship to that child? Right. It's a very simple one. Mm -hmm. What about authorization for field trips or signing report cards or that sort of thing? Right, and in that case, whichever parent doesn't have a legal right to them or is not a guardian would not have the authorization to well, do that. Well, that's another one of those things. You could set, you up, set people, up as a guardian. Right, yeah. if you set them up as a guardian, it's all about making sure you check all those boxes right. and you have all that documentation. And then you have the school system. A lot of times, I, I'll be honest here, is that the school systems are very traditional-minded. Yep. yep. And don't like a disruption of the nuclear family mm -hmm. and will often, whenever they see something that they consider troubling, they're on the phone with DFS oh. for whatever department deals with kids in your area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you're getting home visits and mm -hmm. you're getting questioned and so all of that. Totally sort of not poly related, but I just had a friend. He had a visit from, I think it was CPS out of nowhere for his daughter, who's in, I think, middle school. Turns out she had posted a picture with one of his knives. He has like a knife collection at uh -huh. home on her Instagram. One of her friends from school saw this and was scared of this picture with her of a knife, with a mm -hmm. knife. Told parents, told someone at school, something like that. The school ended up being notified one way or another, whether it was from a parent or the friend. The school then called the government agency, ended up sending out CPS for a home visit because a kid saw a picture online. Yeah. It's kind of like the picture with a kid with a gun, right. anything like that, where 
this kid might grow up going hunting and knows all the gun safety, but it frightened another kid. Right. They right. said something to their teacher. Now the teacher has CPS involved and there's a home visit. And everything's fine and everything was explained and whatnot, but this is the chain of events that just happened to this guy and he was really pissed off. And once we broke it down and we were like, it was probably just a scared kid who didn't know and said, mommy and my friend has a, a big knife. Right. You know, so you never know how that word is going to travel. And especially if you've got your kids in something like we know lots of poly Catholic people, it can happen. Right. And a private Catholic school's not going to look very kindly on it. Sure. Like if your kindergartner draws a picture of mommy and mommy's boyfriend and daddy and or, daddy's girlfriend. Right. <laughs> mommy and mommy's girlfriend. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so be careful. Kids talk. But I also read an article that the younger kids, and I don't remember the age ranges on it, don't know that their family is different from other people yet. Right. It hasn't registered. But once you start getting into the preteen, middle yep. school type, it's clicking that... Um, you guys don't have mommy with mommy's girlfriend and daddy and daddy's girlfriend? Like, oh, that's just me. This is weird. So they don't mm -hmm. really start clicking in until, like, middle school that they're different. Yeah. Let's say fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. I also had CPS called on me a few times in my life. As a parent, I'm pretty liberal in the way that I parent because... I don't believe in hiding things from your kids. I think that the more you hide, the more it makes it taboo, and the more they want to seek it out and indulge in it without guidance from a parental figure. And that's where a lot of issues are caused. So in my times of being a young liberalish parent, I'd let my kids wander around the neighborhood. I knew where they'd go. I knew where they'd be. It's a small neighborhood in a small town. It's fine. I'd let them stay up late or whatever the scenario is. I'd take them to horror movies at eight years old or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Because they knew it was fake and it was just entertainment. But there have been times that maybe they were out doing what they were doing or they were talking about something at school and CPS would have to come to the play, my place and... I'd have to have those discussions. It's not fun. Yeah. You're on trial mm -hmm. and you're already basically judged. And then you have to talk your way out of a sentence, essentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of people are afraid to be open with polyamory yeah. as a parent. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when they come into my home? Right. And now they're going to magnify and glass everything in my house. Yep. And, and that's scary as a parent. Mm -hmm. But I will say, again, check with your local resources, but I will say as a parent, what they're looking for in general, unless you get one on a bad day or in a bad mood, what they're looking for in general is just to make sure that the child is safe, the child is cared for, the child is doing fine. Healthy. <laughs> right. You don't want a malnourished kid. You don't want them dirty all the time. You don't want them sleeping in a dog crate in the cellar. You know, right. like, That's generally frowned upon. Right. If you have a warm, loving home, and obviously not too loving, you don't want sex toys on the counter. <laughs> or whatever, but like, I mean, you yeah. know, 
because that a social worker sees a sex toy and they're going to light your house on fire. Right. Yeah. So as long as they see that it's a warm, loving home, the parents are responsible, the non-biological parents are responsible, and everyone's got the best interests of the children in mind, a lot of times the social worker, if they're doing their job right, you're not going to have too many problems. Right. But again, check your local resources and learn your social workers because some of them, they're just out to, I don't know, wreck <laughs> homes. <laughs> Most of them aren't, but you get the bad seeds because you get a bad seed. And, right. Nothing against social workers. Right. We know no. a few. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Good and bad. Some of them are poly. Yeah. <laughs> but just be mindful and, and understand that that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what matters. Yeah. So yeah, so there's different ways we see parenting in polyamory. Everyone's got a different dynamic. Um, Everyone's got different parenting styles that go into it. So I mean, like you were just saying, with just having the open, warm, loving home goes a long way. Everyone can kind of come to terms with different styles. If you just communicate, like we say, and yeah, be open to working as a team. And a lot of what we've talked about is polyamorous relationship polyamorous families yeah. yeah okay so but then do we have a discussion point or a comparison point on polyamorous family units versus the traditional nuclear family in a lot of our research we were looking at there there are essentially kind of two camps that are the public versions of polyamory versus nuclear so the people who are pro polyamorous family are like it takes a village to raise children, and you see how this is all better, and it's all great. And the more people, they'll get exposed to everything, unlike in those nuclear families where they'll only come in contact with two children, or two parents. You're like, um, it's not like they'll never talk to right. their adult. Right. But I think they do have a valid point with the polyamorous aspect where you do bring in different people and you do bring in different cultures and ways of doing things. And while we touched on how that doesn't always have the best result, I think in a lot of ways you can expose your children to more organic, in a a more organic fashion to different aspects of life and different cultures and different interests and that sort of thing. Well, and I, I think it's, I absolutely think it's a good thing in my experience, having watched multiple families bring their kids into the polyamorous world, you do, like you were saying, you get all these different points of view on things, mm-hmm. but then you've also got your history and his history and my history mm-hmm. all being downloaded in this one little kid's brain. Right. So all their life experiences, their parenting styles, because the way you were raised and the way mm-hmm. he was raised and the way I was raised, all going to be different. So we're all going to have pros and cons of how we want to raise this one child. Mm-hmm. But then, not only is it just the experiences and the parenting style, but then the discipline styles, mm-hmm. and we talked about how that can be hard to work together. Sure. But I think the kids also learn to see and witness how people work together. You know, instead of just mom and dad, and then they're fighting because they don't agree on something, and it's literally just one-on-one all the time. Right. Now the kids are witnessing, oh, well, I can't just run to mom or I can't just run to dad there's a third person here like it's just a whole different style and dynamic and I've really enjoyed watching over my years how different families have done this 
Well, and that's another thing you mentioned too, is in addition to that, you're also bringing in other cultures and you're having more open discussions with your children. So children are learning about gender identity and mm -hmm. sexuality and cultural or racial differences mm -hmm. in a way that's more open than a lot of historically nuclear families where if the mother and the father agree with and believe in this set of ideals, that's really all that the child is going to get. Right. Right. But a multi-parent home now has input from three to 93 people in yeah. theory. Like, for example, my kids grew up in a very nuclear family setting. It was very, very Christian. It was very just mom and dad. We didn't even have a lot of friends come over, and that was by my introverted husband's design. So, therefore, now when I have D around, he's my nesting partner now, at Christmas time we celebrated Hanukkah as well. My kids were like, what is this? And yeah. why don't we do this? And what's that candle thing? And he kind of got to talk about his culture. It was very interesting for them to like learn more about Hanukkah and what that yeah. means and all right. that stuff. So I think that one of the advantages, we've talked about some of the, the hardships of it, but yeah, some of the advantages are the ability to broaden the world in a non-threatening way yeah. to children. Because as you're growing up and you've grown up in a nuclear family with only this set of ideals, like my dad was pretty racist, pretty homophobic. And as I was coming into adulthood, that's kind of all I knew. Right. With the exception of I spent most of my teenage years doing shit on my own. So I got to see other parents from my friends. Right. So I, I learned early on, like, that shit's not cool, right? Yeah. Like, just because dad thought that that's how it was doesn't mean I have to think that's how it was. So I learned pretty early on. But there are some people who don't. Right. And I'll tell you, living in Wyoming a long time, I've seen this generationally happen where mm -hmm. they don't change. Yeah. And not all of them. Some people in Wyoming are fantastic. But <laughs> in general, they don't change their mindset. Right. Now, if there was some polyamory going on in that state, I don't know if there's enough people there to have polyamory. <laughs> but if there was more polyamory in there, then these children would be learning to see the world through different sets of eyes yeah. earlier on. Yeah. And because they still have all the nurturing of all their parentage there, it's not scary and it's not intimidating. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, the first time you see this thing that your parent hated you don't have to have that violent reaction or that mm -hmm. shock yeah. reaction. You, yeah. can, you would have already known because other parent or other other parent didn't hate this thing. And you're like, oh, wait, that's just another human being just like me. Right. They just end up, I believe, they end up growing up way less sheltered. Yeah. With yeah. way more experiences. I mean, when I was living in the dorms in college at 18 for the first time, I, I had... I had already been to Denmark, Sweden, and Norway when I was playing soccer before mm -hmm. starting college. I, having grown up playing soccer in Southern California, was quite aware of different cultures, especially those who enjoyed the sport. Mm -hmm. I wasn't super sheltered, but I was, I was still pretty spoiled going into college. <laughs> I met and came across people who had never pumped their own gas. Um, and not because they were from a state that didn't allow it, like Oregon. <laughs> They're not Oregonians. But because one of these girls grew up in an orchard farm with her parents, oh. and they had gasoline 
tankers tankers on their property to fill up all of their their, their their farm equipment yeah they filled up all their farm equipment on the for the orchard on their own so whenever her car needed gas dad just pumped it from their own oil bin so she's never been she had never been to a gas station before and i literally got a phone call from her and this is brand new early days of cell phones at two in the morning and she was like i don't know how to pump gas like I, there's no gas station attendant. It's late at night. What do I do? And right. I had to go rescue her and show her how to pump <laughs> gas at two in the morning. Huh. So these sheltered kids come into college in the dorms, yeah. and I can just imagine, you know, someone coming in who grew up in a poly open household, yeah. having all the different cultural understandings and sexual identity understandings that exist today in our world. Mm-hmm. Even even in adults, when we talk in groups online, and someone who lives a little bit further, I can't, I can't, I shouldn't even talk anymore. Well, it's funny, because before this, you're like, I probably won't talk too much, and it's, no. you've gotten so excited and so involved in a lot of this you conversation. Really well, I'm really excited. I'm not going to talk about parenting. I know. But I'm really excited for <laughs> you, like, the kids who yeah. learn from it. Yeah, no, you had a lot oh, of experience know. with kids more than you I think you gave yourself credit I think I've witnessed a lot so I can tell you what I've seen works and doesn't work well sure I haven't actually had to do anything (laughs) but I think you you have a very poly partner experience with parenting that is important to this stuff yeah but I think you're right with the Facebook groups and that sort of thing where they there are people who aren't as urban centric they're with, not as with it they're not yeah. as familiar with the terminology okay so we've talked a lot about generalities we've talked about our experiences i would like to provide a little bit of information given to us through psychology today by bella DePaulo, phd bella! <laughs> who has studied polyamory and the effects of polyamory on children yeah oh lovely So in the article that she has written for Psychology Today, she references Elizabeth Sheff's work, who has conducted two studies of well-being of the children of polyamorous parents. In one, she interviewed the parents, and in the other, she talked to children between five and eight years old, which I thought was pretty cool because she didn't just talk to the parents. Yeah. Right. And this is... All human beings involved in the scenario should have a voice. And that's exactly what happened. So in the interviews, the parents described a number of ways their children benefited from polyamory. (laughs) And they are things like children had more individualized time with adults. They could spend less time in daycare because of the flexibility of having multiple parental figures. The greater diversity of interests available from adult figures. That sort of thing. However, the children that Chef interviewed, while she found that the children were articulate, thoughtful, intelligent, and secure in their relationships with the parents, the older children were more aware of being in an unusual family situation than the younger ones, but they weren't questioned by school personnel or other students about having multiple parental figures in their lives because so many other students did too with step-parents and that sort of thing. Right. That is a good point. Right. And the kids didn't seem to express the same concern with the real or potential loss of adult attachments as their parents did. Meaning, like, the kids didn't care so much about partners coming and going, whereas the partners, or the 
parents tended to focus on, I'm worried about my partners coming and going, the kids right. didn't seem to care. The parents put more emphasis yeah. on breakups than the kids did. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's, right. That's an interesting point. Yeah. I do admit that that was probably my biggest concern with polyamory and parenting was the essential you know, sometimes revolving door that you have with, you know, when trying to find a partner right. while being polyamorous, like, how is this going to affect my kids? But that's an interesting article that yeah. didn't seem to be a concern of theirs. Well, right. going back to the first thing you mentioned, too, of, like, parents getting more individual time, mm -hmm. that's totally true because you're out on a date, I'm home with our three children, right? spending more time with them, or... It's, it's really interesting. Scheduling-wise, again, I don't have little ones, but I'm, we're so focused in poly on the calendar and scheduling that we pay attention to, and we've seen it with some of our friends, they schedule in specific date days with this kid. Right. Mm -hmm. With each one. Well, and then also the idea that you're meeting new poly parents, play dates are a thing, yeah. and yeah. they're a frequent thing. Yeah. Also, you mentioned that your girlfriend and her husband, you would often go to recitals and concerts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's more adult interaction there for the children mm -hmm. as well. So a bigger those, cheering squad. Yeah, yeah, bigger cheering squad. And that's actually a big deal for yeah. kids. I have definitely brought Dee to a performance that my daughter had, and she loved it. Yeah. So she yeah. loved having so many people in her, in her cheering group. Right. Yeah. Now, with you discussing, Bella, how when you and your girlfriend split mm -hmm. and the husband basically excommunicated you from the children's lives. Yeah. That is one of the things that was brought up with the children is that they did report experiencing some pain at losing the friendship of the adults who were not involved in their lives any longer. Yeah. Sure. But they felt this pain for both former romantic partners and also for platonic friends of parents whom they lo no longer saw. So it's not right, like right. it had that impact on the children that the parents often think it might. Right, like right. you might have a game night and they see this person for six months every Monday night and then that stops and that friendship just disappeared too. Right, right. Yeah. So that's kind of how it affects children in general not all of them mm -hmm. but overall that was yeah. the, the common effect yeah and overall the children were satisfied with their family arrangement acknowledging that they may not choose it themselves but it works well for their parents and in fact that's something that both my daughters girls, have said is yeah. and my my oldest has always been very supportive of dad finding happiness mm -hmm. and she's always said i support you with whatever you do I will probably never choose that life, but I support you 100%. Mm -hmm. And I will treat each of your partners with the respect they deserve, which was fantastic. I mean, she was 20-something at that time. Right. But it was, it was mature, and it was responsible. Mm -hmm. And respectful of you as well. I may have seen her blurring those lines already in a way. <laughs> so. Well, and then your youngest, your other daughter, is... She doesn't agree with, agree with it at all for her in her life right but she's also self-aware enough and mature enough even at 15 16 when i was first meeting her to know that she's just too jealous of a person right she knows herself well enough 
mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be a good situation for her. Right. And not something she'd want to do. Well, and that came through many of talks with my children. Right. Yeah. Being open and honest with them, telling them the importance of... Like, there's so much about polyamory that I have taught them without making it polyamory. Like the cornerstones of a relationship, mm-hmm. open, honest communication, trust, and all that sort of thing. Like those are built in into right. a good relationship. Even if you're monogamous, you should implement those. Right. <laughs> even if even if you're talking parents and kids and friends and yeah. And I will say something from watching your son, who has decided that he wants to explore ethical non-monogamy. Uh huh. Something that we suggested to him pretty early on, and I'll share it here to all of you listeners as well, is if your kids are looking for maybe exploring this, perhaps gently suggest they get a handle on having a successful single relationship first. We, we've seen it where um, somebody might try and jump into poly dating and oh i want five girlfriends right now right but you haven't even been in the dating world for long enough to understand what it takes to love someone one person master and figure out loving a person and being in relationship before you start adding people on well and then even before that the the biggest relationship you need to work on and the most important person you need to love in your life is yourself. Right. Absolutely. And if you can't do that, you can't be genuine to yourself and you can't be open with yourself, you're going to struggle in a lot of your other relationships. Mm-hmm. So they might see mom and dad do polyamory and they're like, I want to do that. They're so happy at that. Let's take it slow. Right. Take it one step right. at a time. Right. So with that said, there are some pointers here that I'd like to share. When it comes to talking with your children about polyamory or letting them see and have access to your world of polyamory. Mm -hmm. And this comes from findapoly.com. They provide six steps for positive polyamory parenting. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. You can go to the website and find that. But first off is be selective. You don't want to introduce every date to your children, right? Take some time. time. (laughs) Yeah, get to know the person you're dating first. Be mindful of how NRE is affecting you. Mm -hmm. Be mindful of how NRE might make you be okay with making a decision that you would not have made if you weren't an NRE. So be selective in your dating. Be selective in the level of closeness and the level of relationship when introducing to your children. Mm You also kind of want to take it a little slow. I mean, even even me, where I was pretty open with my kids, I was still mindful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there are certain steps where even if they do know this other person, you don't want to just jump in and be like, this is new mommy number seven. Right? <laughs> well, that, that wouldn't fly at all anyway. But <laughs> new mommy number seven. <laughs> but go slow. Be mindful. Go at a pace that the children can understand and they can comprehend. Right. And then let them take the lead, actually. Mm-hmm. Let the kids make the decision. A lot of times I wouldn't cram these ideas down my kid's throat. Right. Like I said in the very beginning of the episode. And kind of wait to see where they were standing. Once mm-hmm. they figured out little bits here and there, then go with that. 
I did have a talk with my kids and ask them if they were comfortable if D moved in before right. we just greenlit that. Well, and that's one of the things that I wish I saw more in parenting all over the world is these children are members of your home. Right. And they should have a bit of a say in what goes on because mm-hmm. this is their life also. Mm-hmm. And it's more importantly because they rely on the adults for security and protection and, and health and comfort and all of that. Right. They can't just move out and get a job at eight years old, <laughs> you know? Exactly. So we need to be mindful of what our kids are thinking, what our kids are mm-hmm. feeling. And even if you are madly infatuated with this person you've been seeing for a few weeks and your kid is like, parental figure i don't feel comfortable around so and so right you gotta listen you to gotta that. take that seriously it, it can't be one of those like no it's okay you just got to get to know this person pay attention to what they're saying yeah always pay attention mm-hmm. to what they're saying you want to be honest just like all our other relationships be honest after they're taking the lead maybe don't feed them a line of shit yeah right uh, this new partner is not the easter bunny this new partner is <laughs> not santa claus just be real, and your kids would appreciate and value that a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. You also want to be flexible. Allow them to determine their own boundaries with your partners within reason. I mean, they can't be like, I never want them in the house ever if <laughs> there's no reason for it. Right. But, like, if they don't feel comfortable, like, it doesn't have to go to those scenarios. Oh, so-and-so's here. Give them a hug. no. If the kid doesn't want to give them mm-hmm. a hug, kid doesn't have to give them a hug. Yeah. Well, that's another one of those things with the kids growing up to be less sheltered adults and more well-rounded. Did any of us know the difference between rules and boundaries when we grew up? Definitely no. Not. No, no idea. <laughs> no. But we've educated ourselves because mm-hmm. of polyamory yeah. and ethical non-monogamy to the point where what we're learning and we're going to teach to our kids growing up, they're going to enter the world having all this knowledge that we wish we had. Yeah. And none of the other kids are going to know because when you're growing up in a typical nuclear family, they don't talk. You just don't do that. Why? Because I said so. Right. Like, cool. But there's no, like, let's discuss boundaries and rules. Yeah. Right. If grandma says, give me a kiss, you give grandma a kiss. Right. 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 No, yeah. We've had discussions with my kids about consent and no means no. And if you don't want to give a hug, you don't have to. And right. my three-year-old yeah. exercises that often. But. Well, and that's funny <laughs> because in, you know, go back to a traditional nuclear household, they might have a consent conversation, sure. but they might have that consent con- conversation strictly in a sexual sense. Sure. Right? right. If they've got a daughter, they're talking about saying no, mm-hmm. don't be pressured. Mm-hmm. And if they've got a son, when someone tells you no, you back off. Right. So they'll have that conversation, yeah. but you won't talk about consent in a touching manner and right. a hugging and a Aunt Sue wants to give you a kiss on the cheek right. or any of those things. So it's it's interesting how the conversations yeah. change. You can also, too, have a partner who's not a big sensory person or has sensory concerns who can have a conversation with your child about, like, I need you to ask me before you give me a hug because I may not be okay with it right now. Right. And, like, teaching them that, you know, people do have concerns and consent is a big issue. And right. So right. That's and that's even like something that. that we've grown accustomed to doing um, is asking people, especially when we meet someone new mm-hmm. and they come to any of our parties or our events, I will, I greet them with open arms and I'll literally stop and say, are you a hugger? And then they'll usually come in even when they're not typically a hugger. Right. Um, so for example, 
the last event, D's ex roommate brought her nesting oh, partner. Yes, yes. And I guess he's not a big people person or not. a big toucher. <laughs> and when he was saying goodbye from the party, I was like, "Are you a hugger?" And he totally open arm gave me a hug, and she was like, "Holy crap, yeah. that never happens." Yeah. But yeah, these conversations um, are interesting. This next generation of kids that have grown up in open households. Well, and it makes me think about computers in that when we were young, computers were kind of a rarity, right? And the generation before us didn't grow up with computers. And try to get one of them to check their email. Right. It's almost impossible. <laughs> Unless they've had to learn it through work. It's right. really difficult. And then we grow up with a little bit of experience with computers. So we get pretty decent. We're pretty good at it. And then you get the generation that has grown up only knowing computers. iPhones came out of the vagina with them. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And by the time they're three, they can already hack your iPad and unlock your password without knowing anything about it Mm -hmm. and get on the store and buy 12 apps and, you know, Go on a date with someone in China or something uh, like. Yeah, my kids are so mad at me that they don't have cell phones yet. Even my my eight year old is like, "Why don't I have an iPhone yet?" I'm like, "Cause you're eight. Right. I'm old school." <laughs> with with the information technology age, mm-hmm. each generation grows faster at learning the important aspects of technology. In the information polyamory age. <laughs> We're working on the next generation of polyamory that, for some of us, we didn't know polyamory when we woke up from the womb, (laughs) right? And then so our generation is going to be like the Oregon Trail generation, where it's not common, but Mm -hmm. it still has happened enough that they get used to it. Mm -hmm. And maybe the generation after that, they grew up in a poly household, all, all they've known is polyamory and so on. And so they're going to become so accustomed to this information so much faster. So consent conversations and honesty conversations and all of this stuff is more ingrained from the get-go. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It is. One more point through this episode that I would like to discuss is that, interestingly, before the boom of the nuclear family in the 1900s, Family homes used to be much larger, either due to extended families living in the same home or multiple families sharing both dwellings and parental responsibilities. Families also used to be more abundant with the number of children to a parental unit, which also meant the older children would assist in childcare duties of the younger siblings. Hell, even in today's age, there are examples of community parenting which seem to be socially acceptable If you've ever been a member of a church, you might have seen this. Another example, which might seem odd, is apartment living. Oh, I could see that. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned living in Concord, California. Yeah. For about two years, I lived, well, a year and a half, I lived in this apartment complex. Mm -hmm. Big old complex, 100 apartments or more or whatever. And each section had like 12 apartments in it. Right. With a common courtyard. And so, basically, all the kids in that common courtyard would often hang out together. They'd go to the other apartments. Like, so if 
you lived at apartment 2C and I lived at apartment 1A. Yeah. And we're always hanging out down in the courtyard. Sometimes we'd go to your place for lunch and hang out and watch cartoons you know, and then sometimes we'd go to my place and then right. play video games or whatever. The parents get to know each other. And the parents get to know each other. The parents are looking out for each other's kids. Maybe even at times there's a little bit of making sure that the kids aren't doing wrong. Like, right. hey, does your mom know you're doing this? Or, right. And that was that was a big deal when I lived down in California. Yeah. We kind of grew up that way. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say that... It was a polyamorous community. I don't know which parents were hooking up with who. <laughs> and that's another example on how you could have a multi-parent community. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I didn't grow up in apartments, but I grew up on this block, also in Southern California. I'm down in Corona, Riverside, Corona, Norco area. And uh, it was a brand new community and um, houses were just being built, like from the ground up. My parents bought a plot of land and they were building this house and there were 13 houses on this little cul-de-sac. And since it was a brand new neighborhood, a housing development, they got to meet the other people buying the houses at the same time. Yeah. So they'd go out and see the building done in phases kind of a thing. And they got to know all these other families, which were all pretty young families buying brand new homes. And 13 houses, and there ended up being something like 24 or 27, 24 to 27 kids okay. on this 13-house cul-de-sac. So there were many block parties. There was oftentimes a sign at the end of the cul-de-sac, like, don't come in, don't drive into the street. You know, kids at play, we'd be playing butts up on someone's garage or three flies up in the street or whatever it was. Um, pool parties at people's houses, but it was the same kind of idea, just a little more spread out, where it was like, we're going to go to Susie's or we're over at Johnny's and yeah. the parents all knew each other and... You know, same kind of idea, just a little bit more spread out. It was more middle class, less poor. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great example of how we were raised differently. I know. You're the bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks. Oh, it's the right side of the tracks. Oh, yeah. All right. And one last thing before we close out. Because the legal potential for issue is actually a real thing. Totally. I'm bringing back some more stuff from Elizabeth Sheff, PhD, from Psychology Today. I'll link the article in our show notes. But I found it interesting because she goes over quite a bit of how to manage through the legal scenario in the event that you do find yourself involved with CPS or maybe a divorce or a custody case or something of that sort. So legal issues with polyamorous parenting. kids and parenting. Right. A lot of her studies discuss sexual minorities, uh, same-sex houses and yeah. th that sort of thing, and some of the struggles that that parental unit goes through. In addition, she's done some research on how it affects polyamorous parental units. Mm -hmm. She's also an expert witness in custody cases related to polyamory, and she is a guardian ad litem and court-appointed special advocate, but she's not a lawyer, mm -hmm. so she's not giving legal advice, but in the article, she provides some expert opinion, and she also, I think in last week's episode, when we were talking about the legal stuff just a little bit, yeah, I jokingly said pay attention to what kind of mood the judge is in. Yeah. 
And that's actually something that she addresses. Interesting. Is that no matter how much you have backed up and how much proof you have that shows, if the judge thinks that polyamory is inherently wrong or sinful, mm -hmm. then the judge is going to rule against you. Right. So that's where back in last week's episode we were talking about making sure that you're aware of who the judges are. And when you go to find an attorney, find one who maybe has done cases like this mm -hmm. or has worked on cases of alternative parenting lifestyles. Right. Also, we've got a couple friends who are child welfare caseworker types. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, they remain anonymous through all of this because it's for their own safety. But they've also made mention before that... Basically, if your relationship isn't putting harm in the children's way or causing them distress or anything like that, they try and stay out of it. Right. They don't want to get involved. So unless there's some major harm being done to the kids, because they're on the kid's side, they're really trying not to get involved, polyamory or not. Unless they are that type. Right. Who are not open-minded and see it as something dangerous or shameful so the first recommendation or the first opinion that she offers is to like i said find an open-minded lawyer yeah somebody who has dealt with consensual non-monogamy or at least sexual minority families for useful referrals check out kink aware professionals listed on the national coalition for sexual freedom that's a great website also ask your lawyer if they know an open-minded guardian ad litem in case you need a home assessment, it'll be useful to have an option to suggest rather than have to go with that guardian ad litem, uh, the other side of this case might find. Oh. And then I think we mentioned also keep your living environment clean and well stocked with food in case you get a surprise visit from CPS. Definitely. You want to show that the kids aren't needing or wanting. You want to make sure that you prove that you have enough food and clean clothes and, and the environment's clean. Right. Don't wait till the last minute because you know or think you know when they're going to come by. Just keep your environment clean and it doesn't cause question. Right. And so those things. Be mindful of that. Also, if they do come to your home, uh, let them in right away. Don't, don't make it look like you're trying to hide something or don't check behind you a whole bunch. <laughs> You know, just let them in. Answer their questions. Be courteous, open, honest. Everything that we do with polyamory, uh, do with CPS people. Right. And then you also, she recommends you want to strategize what to tell the kiddos. Some parents come out with the truth and help the child understand there are some private things that people only do or talk about at home or in private. The difference between what you do in private versus this is a secret mm. is a big deal here. I'm sure that's hard for kids to learn, though. I don't know what age that's a thing. Well, it's anything. If I told you I have a secret to tell you, right. you can't tell anyone, you're excited. Oh, you yeah. got this magical knowledge, and, and you got to share it with somebody, <laughs> right? But if it's not a secret and if it's not shameful, it's just a private matter. This, these are just some things we don't talk about to people that don't live in our home right so maybe the family are nudists and there's no problem with nudity at home it's not weird it's not dangerous the kids are okay with it because the kids grew up knowing that it was okay yeah 
but you're going to let your children know that the nudism at home is a private home matter. It's okay, it's natural, but it's not something we do everywhere. Right. right? So trying to make sure that they know the difference between private matters and secrets mm-hmm. and that you're not keeping secrets, that's a big deal. Yeah. And then to wrap this up, basically, you want to provide your lawyer with some resources if necessary whatever resources that you can get them to help them help you with your case. Yeah. You know, they may be fantastic in law, but haven't run into a lot of consensual non-monogamy cases. Right. So if you happen to know of a few, send them your lawyer's way. Definitely. And, you know, maybe just any of the studies that you find or check the show notes to provide them with anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's all the more information. Can't hurt. So, and I think with that, we should probably draw this to a close. Yeah. Again, there's so much to cover. We'll probably do another episode in another right. year. <laughs> Easily. And sorry if we jumped around a lot. There was just a lot of ground to cover. Well, there is a lot of ground to cover, which shows me that there's a lot more discussion to be had. Absolutely. And I don't want to make a whole poly parenting podcast because I'm past that stage. Right. But I definitely want <laughs> to help parents polyamory well, yeah. well and, see, and we, parent well we didn't even jump into the like dating a parent so yeah so we have a ton of extra ground to cover if you have other polyamory parenting subjects you'd like us to explore you can do we're always telling you to do hit us up on our email go to any of our social media links yeah. and have that conversation if you don't feel comfortable having that conversation on a public forum use the email or find us on facebook or instagram and message us yeah, use we, the yeah, we check all our messages all the time. yep and we will be happy to have these discussions again in the future yeah absolutely oh it was super cool speaking of commenting on a post in a couple of the facebook groups that i'm in polyamory uh-huh. facebook groups some of them are national some of them are more pacific northwest related and every now and then someone will post hey Share some TED Talks or audiobooks or podcasts that you like listening to. And recently I saw a couple times where total strangers mentioned Talk Your Polly Off. And I was like, hey, hey, hi, I'm Bella. And it was really <laughs> cute because like, I got to talk to listeners and they were like, oh my god, I love it. So I saw that. I've seen that a couple of times. I'm not so open about it. You don't, even, don't, you don't Facebook as I much as I do either. I don't either. Facebook as much. I figured I'd just sit back and watch them talk about it. And yeah. I'd just kind of be glad that someone likes our podcast. I kind of fangirl on them. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you've heard me? That's so cool. And I want to have a whole conversation about it. Yeah. Not because I'm like, oh, tell me I'm amazing. But because I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, we're actually live on the air. People hear these words. Because we just sit in a little room and talk. And if you want Bella to fangirl <laughs> on you, why don't you go share our podcast with the world. Go yes. suggest us to tons of people. I'll find it. Yeah, she will. She'll she, And then she'll fangirl on you. I will. It's okay. cool. It's fun. It's a good time. So until that happens, thank you for tuning in to our polyamory and parenting episodes. Yeah. Oh, and we've got some good ones coming up. Uh-huh. Not sure what which episodes are going where, but I know that we've got... So there's a 4C episode, and then there's one on sex. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about some sex. 
Good. We're getting we sexy up in here. So keep an eye out for those. I know they're coming Oh, and soon. I still want to break up with you. <laughs> coming soon. Yeah, you want to break up. we got to have a breakup episode. Yeah. And then there's one about, to go along with breakups, rejection. Oh, you can't reject my breakup. I'm going to reject that breakup so hard. No, you're not. Yeah. So I guess at this point, we've got to put the kids to bed. So we're out of here. <laughs> it's way past our bedtime. It is. <laughs> And we look forward to talking to you next week, Pollyanna fam. Goodbye! <laughs> Thank you for talking your Polly off with Bella and Monsada. You can find our Facebook page in the links. Or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And, and love, love without, without limits. limits.